Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast. I'm Veronica Ambuel, Director of Communications for the Diocese of Colorado Springs, and I'm joined today by Deacon Patrick Jones, who's an award-winning author of Catholic fiction and the founder of Catholic Halos, and Deacon Doug Flynn, who is the Chancellor and General Counsel for the Diocese. Uh, before we begin our discussion today, Deacon Patrick, would you lead us in an opening prayer? In nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc en enora mortis nostre. Amen. So, um... This being the month of November now, we're recording this on uh, Thursday, November 2nd, which is All Souls Day. Uh, We thought it might be helpful to talk about relics, Um, specifically, you know, what, what are some of the misconceptions about relics and then what, what does the church actually teach about venerating relics. Um, Deacon Doug, you, you had a, a brief paragraph from the catechism, I believe, that explained a little bit about it. Uh, yes, and it's only one paragraph. It's paragraph 1674, and it's basically talking, it's under the heading of popular piety, and it just says that besides sacramental liturgy and sacramentals, catechesis must take into account the form of piety and popular devotions among the faithful the religious sense of the Christian people has always found expression in various forms of piety surrounding the church's sacramental life, such as the veneration of relics, visits to sanctuary, pilgrimages, processions, stations of the cross, religious dances, the rosary, medals, etc. Well, I think it's important to point out, too, that Vatican II supports, and I'd have to go back and look uh, or listen to our previous podcast on this, but uh, supports the the practices of um, popular uh, piety. And um, this is an integral part of faith life. Right. And so just uh, before we get um, too much further in, though, uh, we should probably explain that there's um, three types of relics. Um, a first cr- first class relic is um, part of the body of a saint. So it can be anything from um, a small fragment of hair to a bone fragment, um, any any part of the body. Um, a second class relic is a piece of clothing or, or an other item that was used by a saint. And then a third class relic is an object touched to a first or second class relic. So, um, you know, when it, when we're talking about first class relics, um, those are not always, but, but, um, mostly found in churches around the world. So if there's, you know, um, a church dedicated to a particular saint, it would be you know natural that they would have if there if there were known to be relics of that saint um they would be found there um but then they're f- frequently um as you mentioned before the show deacon patrick in a 
what's called a reliquary or a um, a case of some type, usually covered in glass, um, to, you know, to to protect to protect it. And um, and then, you know, in terms of uh, you know clothing and things like that, or a, it could even um, be like a comb that that a saint used. Um, those those probably aren't as um, in some ways not as common because they can't be divided up as easily, maybe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which sounds bizarre, I know, but, um, uh, so, so, uh, and, and then, you know, so then we have the third class relic, which really, um, you know, anybody could get, right. If they, if they were able to visit, the, um, a pl place that had a first or second class relic just by touching something to it. But, um, the, in, in doing a little bit of research about this topic before the show, I think several of the authors that I w was looking at, you know, took pains to point out that um, the, that very often, you know, people attribute um, kind of miraculous healings to uh, maybe, you know, touching touching a relic or going to, you know, praying in front of a relic of a saint. But these, we, the church is careful to say that this, that any, you know, truly miraculous healing comes through God and th that we're not attributing the power to that object in and of itself. Um, and, and the other thing too, is that um, just, kind of in reading, um, uh, I guess you'd say from an apologetics angle, um, you know, so, some Protestants might uh, object to veneration of relics, uh, but in the Bible itself, there are some examples of that, such as in the Old Testament, when the, when the bones of Elisha or Elisha came in contact with a dead man and the man was raised to life. So, um, you know, the authors also point out that there are biblical roots for this practice. It's not something that the church invented later on. They were parting out prophets before we were slicing up saints. <laughs> Is that what you just said? <laughs> well, interestingly, when I mentioned that this was going to be our topic, uh, one of their coworkers uh, expressed her lack of understanding as to how the practice of uh, specifically first-class relics could be squared with the teaching of the church on the sacredness of bodies and uh, the resurrection of the dead and why we bury uh, people, whether they're, it's their bodies or whether it's uh, the cremains. And, and how does that square with slicing and dicing and passing out fingers and toes and bones and things? to various churches around the world. And I, I took a swag at it and said, you know, maybe it's just that, that churches in themselves with a respectful reliquary are indeed um, places of honor, but she was having none of it. So if anyone else <laughs> <laughs> understands how those things square, if Catholic 
math or there, there are some head scratchers and and one of them that my crack research team pulled up is uh, an example of uh, Saint Jean Marie Vianney, and he uh, he his touch cured a child while he was alive. Uh, the child and he were alive, and this caused the crowds to gather and credit him for the miracle. And he was trying to get away from them, so he. To your question uh, and and the question of the uh, our fellow staff member, uh, he tossed out, he scattered relics into the crowd and medals, distracting them so he could get away and then attribute to uh, St. Philomena credit for the miracle. And, and I'm like, um, what? <laughs> And, and so it's, I don't, uh, there's a lot of head scratchers and I think we just, uh, chalk it up ultimately to Catholic math. Uh, and this will be one of the great things to get to, uh, discover when, uh, should we be blessed to arrive in heaven? Um, and the, uh, you had mentioned Veronica, uh, that people can create, third third class relics by touching them to, and I believe it's first, second or other third class with the intent of creating a relic. It's not just accidental contact uh, with, with the intent and prayer to do so. Um, And uh, my own experience is uh, my wife and daughters went to a, um, one of those uh, now and then you'll see that there's a uh, uh, a relic um, traveling relic. Uh, I don't even know what you call it. <laughs> um, Display or d- yeah, prayer prayerful. I, I don't know what all it is, but you, you go and there's there's a prayer uh, and a teaching, and then there's time to um, bring things that you brought with you and, and, uh, view and touch the relics, um, or, or the reliquy touching the reliquy does the same thing. So I guess that gets at the third class can create third class. Uh, and so I've got, uh, my rosary and my hiking staff are, um, third class relics of the most Holy cross, uh, and the veil of the blessed Virgin Mary, and the cloak of St. Joseph among a few others. Um, and what's amazing is the, the relationship that happens of praying with them and feeling their presence with me as I'm praying, as I'm uh, hiking, running in contemplative, active contemplation. Uh, it really deepens that personal relationship and prayer uh, and that's that saint being with me. And um, so there's a real gift of faith that I've experienced with that. Well, I have one story that I remember Bishop Sheridan telling us over lunch one day and how the, how the first class relic topic came up. I can't recall, but uh, he told his favorite story about two churches in Italy. Maybe they were both in Rome, but uh, a huge dispute over who had the real skull of John the Baptist. 
And he said in a, in a typically Italian way, they came to a, uh, a concord by saying that one church had the skull of John the Baptist as an adult and one had the skull of John the Baptist as a child. <laughs> huh? so, the, so the Catholic math and the head scratchers, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Wading into the deep end on some of these with the tidal pool of infinity and uh, trying to figure out what, how, how is uh, it truly is amazing how God's grace is beyond time and space and thus beyond the objects that we view as very time and space limited, such as skulls. Well, um, yeah, Deacon Patrick, as you were talking about the kind of the personal connection that you had um, to, to those, to that, those relics of the cross, um, you know, I think that's that is another aspect that kind of was brought out in some of the articles that I was reading, in the sense that, you know, relics are maybe, in some ways, most useful or meaningful if if we already have kind of a devotion, you know, to that particular saint, um, and so w- what popped into my head as you were talking was. Um, uh, the that my husband's family has um, several relics of of Mother Teresa of Calcutta because, um, and I, I'm pretty sure I've told the story at least once on the podcast before, so I'll try not to drag it out too long. But basically, when she um, was uh, searching for a convent for her order in Chicago. And this, you know, this would basically be a, a home, just a, a home that would be converted to a convent, not like a, a large building. Um, she came with several of her sisters and um, the American man in Chicago who was trying to help them out. The only person he could think of who had a 15 passenger van was my father-in-law. And so he loaned it to Mother Teresa and her sisters well, they, so they could drive around Chicago and look for, look for a house. And so, um, as a result, they had the privilege of meeting her several times. And so, um, years later when, uh, our family was, you know, going through some rough times with health, um, Um, somebody gave us a, a relic of, of Mother Teresa that was a little piece of her hair um, in, a, in a glass frame, you know. But I think that, that you know, knowing, knowing that she um, had personally met, you know, members of my husband's family and that, you know, um, she had promised to pray for them and things like that. So... I'm not saying that we're we're not all going to have those personal connections, um, but but I I do think that you know the church encourages us to place it in the context of that saint's life, you know, and what um, what was it about their trials and crosses and struggles that maybe you know speak to us as well? Not just um, the relic is important, yes, but it's supposed to kind of lead us to a, maybe a deeper meditation. And so, um, 
So, uh, yeah, the, you know, the other, the other thing they were mentioning specifically when you said about the true cross is that what, one of the objections that apparently has been brought up again, I, I apparently by Protestants is that, well, if all the, if all the relics of the true cross that were supposedly exist were put together, it would make a warship. But, um, but actually, uh, that's the the uh, the church has been pretty careful about documenting um, the authenticity of relics and specifically if um, you know it, it, these days anyway if there's a fir first class relic there will be a certificate that goes with it to verify its authenticity so you know we know that um, there are relics that are their authenticity is still up for debate. And the biggest one that, you know, we know of is, is the shroud of Turin. Um, and, you know, here in our diocese, we have the Turin shroud center where there, um, and Dr. John Jackson has done extensive research on the shroud to um, show, show that it is very likely to be authentic, but, there's no way we can ever prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know, and, and I think probably um, uh, the, you know, it's just going to, it's going to always be a question of, you know, um, or this is not something that the church is ever going to insist that we believe in, you know, that, that we have the shroud, but um but it, it is very educational to learn about all the um, the features of it that put place it in that historical context. I think there's a <clears throat> story of Saint Therese of Lisieux uh, when she was on pilgrimage to Rome, and she wanted to obtain a relic of Saint Agnes to give bring back to her sister, uh, but no one would help her. And so she was praying and uh, a piece of tile dating back to the time when St. Agnes was there uh, fell at her feet. And uh, St. Therese was delighted that St. Agnes herself had given her a relic. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't come with a certificate, but it did come with the story. So <laughs> not, not everything gets a certificate. It takes... Uh, we have to take like so many things, uh, faith and it requires eyes of intellect to an innocence through faith to, uh, to be able to see. Uh, and, and that's, that's one of the gifts of strength that, that, uh, the Holy spirit gives us. I do remember another story and it probably was from either the Babylon Bee or uh, the Onion, but it, it, uh, <laughs> it was Vatican Museum begs Pope John Paul II to stop intending to create relics in every plane and car he travels in because they're running out of room at the museum. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that, that does bring me back to the mother Teresa story though, because um, 
before my uh, father-in-law junked that van, he did pull out the seat that she sat in. And um, it is somewhere, somewhere in their uh, belongings, I think. But um, yeah, I mean, it gets, it, it could, I suppose it could get a little crazy when you think about everything the person ever touched or used, um, you know, all their books and, and that kind of thing. Um, the, the, uh, it, it reminds me of a story, uh, that was told about St. Jose Maria. He would, um, he was known for, um, being almost, I, I don't know what's the word, very obsessive about not spending money, right. That he, on himself, not spending money on himself. And so he wore the same cassock year after year after year. And the, uh, it was always, um, just needing mending, you know, and, and to the point where you're like mending the mending. And, and so finally one of the men that he, uh, was living with at the center just took the old cassock and cut it up into a bunch of little pieces and sent it out to all the, all their places around the world so that there's no way you could <laughs> get the cassock sewn back together. And, you know, but it, something like that would be a perfect example now of a, um, a second class relic. Right. And hopefully all those folks who got the little pieces of the cassock held onto it, they probably, you know, they probably did. Um, but uh, it's, it's great because it's, it's small, but it, you still, you know, know for sure that he used it. So, um, uh, but yeah, I think, I think, um, to, to, to your point, Deacon Patrick, um, uh, there, there are definitely some relics like for when you go, for example, to St. Mary major in Rome and they, they have a display there of, you know, the, um, the wood, wood from the original crash that the baby Jesus, um, was laid in. I mean, we're, we're taking that on faith, right? It's not, there's no way they can prove it. <laughs> it didn't come with a certificate <laughs> <laughs> when they checked in at the inn. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Do not remove waiver. this tag. <laughs> yeah. And signed a waiver saying, yeah, no. They... <laughs> uh, well, the, uh, how do we use these relics aside from personal devotion and prayer? And there's, there's uh, two main categories. There's healings and conversions. And um, one uh, comes from Blessed McGill Pro. Uh, and uh, the president of Mexico who had ordered his execution, uh, the execution of Blessed Miguel Pro, uh, was ended up in exile in a Catholic hospital in California. Uh, things didn't go well for leaders in Mexico back then. <laughs> and, uh, so when the sister nursing him found out who he was, she obtained a relic from Blessed Miguel and put it under the president's pillow. And he ended up dying repentant. Uh, and I'm not sure if he converted or not. Um, but, 
there there is the, the very strong likelihood that he did and uh the uh one of the other examples um for healing is where did it go Oh, uh, St. Gerard, uh, you had mentioned, uh, various oddities that people kept from, from a holy person's life that they experienced that person is holy. Um, and so St. Gerard, uh, also didn't replace his clothing very often. So his shoes were worn out and, uh, family replaced them for him. And I guess they'd kept his old shoes, uh, and, their son ended up healed through the shoe, through appeal, uh, to the, through the shoe to God. And so then from that point on, the shoes were passed around through the town for anyone who was sick. Uh, so there's, there, there really is uh, grace that comes through devotion. Uh, and it's, it's one of those beautiful graces and gifts that, uh, God gives us. Well, and um, we could probably mention here that, you know, we definitely don't have to travel to Italy to view quite a few relics. Um, there are there are several parishes in our diocese who have uh, reliquaries um, that you can visit. Um, I, I know that one, one that comes to mind is St. Gabriel uh, in Briargate. It's... Uh, just outside the entrance to their um, adoration chapel. And uh, they have quite a good collection there. Um, and then there are, you know, a number of shrines in, in the United States that have uh, quite a few relics. I, and they mentioned this one article that I was um, looking at mentions a place that I have never heard of before, I don't think, the Maria Stein Shrine of Holy Relics in Ohio says it has over 1,100 relics representing 900 saints. Uh, so it's located in the Diocese of Cincinnati. Um, there's also, uh, and then there's St. Anthony's Chapel in Pittsburgh, says it boasts an even larger collection of 5,000 relics and um it's uh it says it draws as many as 200 visitors weekly so you know luckily with the internet it's fairly simple to reach research some of these places but um one thing that we've with the herald that we tried to do um a few years ago was if you know if people were planning a summer road trip to see family in another state or whatever, um, check out, check out, you know, possible, um, shrines along the way that might, uh, contain some, some really, uh, you know, fascinating relics and things like that. Try to, try to incorporate it into, um, your kind of normal family travel. Um, that's the trip a pilgrimage. Right, right, ex exactly, and and um, I, I uh, 
and I was also thinking of um, it doesn't it doesn't fall maybe exactly under the the, the same topic, but like for example, even in uh, the Archdiocese of Denver, at the Basilica uh, of the Immaculate Conception, they uh, you know that is where um, uh, Julia Greeley uh, her, is her remains are are now uh buried and um so you know she has not been canonized by the church but uh I, most of the people who've studied her life you know feel like it's only a matter of time so there are definitely plenty of places that are accessible um if if a person would you know would want to to uh make the trip it's it, it's not just a um Again, it's not just something that is in Europe or, you know, very far away. Well, and as you pointed out, Veronica, it's they're they're not magic. Uh, and you devastated everything I knew. I thought I knew because you explained it's not like a Indiana Jones movie. Um, <laughs> so so now now I've got to go back to, to relic school to learn what I thought I knew and relearn it properly. But uh <clears throat> it's they're they're augments to faith so if you don't have faith they're not going to make any sense <laughs> they're nonsensical um if you do have faith then the the strength that they give deepens faith and is an expression of faith um and and uh the the whole point of them and the reason that the second vatican council encourages them is because they deepen uh, our faith and our relationship with the communion of saints. Well, that's about all the time we have for our discussion today. Um, before we close, we just want to remind everybody that you can um, hear this episode and all past episodes of Catholic Halos on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, and several other platforms. Uh, so feel free to uh, check us out there. Uh, Deacon Doug, would you lead us in a closing prayer? Certainly. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostrae. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast. <laughs>